once again. It's really great to, to see you. Uh, before we pick up on where we left off, I think five weeks ago, the five weeks went by very quick. I thought I had time at the, and then it jumped on me very quickly. We'll just look at one passage. This was not part of our discussion five weeks ago, but I thought let me throw it in there. Whether or not we'll find time to talk about it, you maybe just uh, need to go home and uh, reflect on it. This is in Hebrews uh, chapter 1. This is, uh, you'll notice that the author of Hebrew is also making a defense. And I don't know if that is part of uh, the slides there, but I think it should be. So when he opens up, he says, God, who at various times, in various ways, spoken to us in times passed by, by the prophets and has in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he has made heir over all things through whom all the worlds were made being the express image of himself the brightness of his glory upholding all things by the word of his power. That might not mean much, but when you recognize what he had to say in the whole book of Hebrews, that is a mouthful to say. As I said, we might look at it. I would encourage you to go look, maybe if you can in one city, just read the book of Hebrews. Now, Five weeks ago, as uh, maybe we'll conclude all of what we said today, this will be a very, very short sermon. Very short. Don't blink. We might be over. Last time I said short. And today I mean it. <laughs> Last time I actually meant it, but you interrupted and then... We had to take longer. So last time, remember, we discussed this principle that uh, whenever we have error, it gives us an opportunity to explain what it is that we believe. You remember that? And we touched on our history, or maybe the history of Reformation, and it fitted in nicely because uh, it was October, and the Reformation happened in October, 31st of October, 1517. And we looked at the five solars, which probably by now you are tired of them. And some of us who are raised reformed, yeah, we have had this all our lives. And we looked at the five solars, uh, solar scriptura, solus Christos, sola fide, sola gracia, and solide or gloria. By the way, if you are interested in that, in the whole teaching of the solar, you can go to our archives. YouTube, Pastor Monthly Priest joined this on the 20th of September 2020. A message called Sporting the Fake. If you're interested, you can go and listen to that message or watch it. And in the Gospel of John, this is what we focused on last time when we, when we spoke. We see John 
giving a defense of the person of the Lord Jesus. You remember that? Do you remember that? Are you sure? Can I give you a pop quiz? And what you will see in the Gospel of John is John is very deliberate in what he says. And his Gospel is different in that he does not even give the background of Jesus, his birth. John's Gospel is the only Gospel that contains no parable of Jesus. Again, you'll go and check it out. I know you will. He goes straight to the point of who Jesus is. And he's very clear and very, very intentional about making a defense on two things. The first one is that Jesus is truly God. Jesus is truly God. That point had to be very, very clear. It had to be emphasized. And it's important today as it was when he wrote it in the first century. And he kicks off his gospel with these words, in the beginning was the word. Amen? You remember? Your memory is coming back now. Yeah, okay. In the beginning was the word. I don't know if you prefer the other uh, translations. N-I-K, N-O-Logos. Kai-O-Logos, Proston, Theom. Kai Theos and Hologos. <laughs> Remember when we talked about this, with, we said John chose his words very carefully. He indicated that and he used the word Logos for a reason. That in, with the Greek language, the Logos meant, that's where we get our, our word logic, that there is this notion and understanding that life is held together coherently by something. And John says, that something, that word, is actually God. Because that word was in fact face to face with God in the beginning. That's why that word had to be God. You remember that part? That is very critical because Jesus, as he was addressing people of those days, was not elevated to the status of God. He was always God. And that sometimes gets brushed aside and when you listen to other people will say, Jesus was a very good teacher and that's all he was. Or the Sermon on the Mount will be very true to me even if Jesus did not exist. That's what Mahatma Gandhi said, once said. And this is what C.S. Lewis referred to as patronizing nonsense. Because Jesus would not have been a good teacher if he said what he said. If he claimed what he claimed about himself. Amen? As a matter of fact, I would think if he was just a teacher and he said what he said, he would have to be an evil teacher. And that's what John is driving into that this is what Jesus had to be because what he said about himself he backed it up. He did not just come making empty promises. And this is why the Gospel of John is actually quite controversial. 
to skeptics, John apparently realized that the other three gospels did not say enough about Jesus' deity, so he decided to, to go to town with Jesus' deity, and he is accused of being a sensationalist. And again, I would really encourage you to read the Gospel of John, as I indicated, is, is quite different from the other. So, John focused on that, and in there you find very fascinating dialogues between Jesus and, and the Jews. And those dialogues actually indicated what Jesus actually was claiming about himself. He tells them, you search the scriptures thinking that in them you have eternal life, but it is those scriptures that testify about me. And he also says in, in chapter 8, this is one of those, those things which he said, which almost got him stoned. In the Gospel of John, Jesus almost gets stoned twice by saying what he said. And in chapter 8, verse 56, he says, this is Jesus saying to them, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus says, most assuredly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. And when you read, the, I mean, when we're reading this as, as young people, you think, what kind of grammar is that? <laughs> before, shouldn't you say, before Abraham was, I was. But it says, before Abraham was, I am, as in when God was telling Moses, when Moses asked, who should I say sent me? And God said, tell them I am sent you. I am that I am. And the Jews here did not even clarify, ask for clarity. They didn't ask, what do you mean I am? They just right away picked up stones to stone him because they understood the claim which he was making. Ego I me, I am the self-existing one. Amen. And this is, again, it's just, I'm, I'm picking, I, I encourage you to read. This is just maybe some of the examples which, uh, the claims that he made, which, which are very interesting. In, in chapter 11, you remember the story of Lazarus. Lazarus died. And Jesus was going there. So he's having a conversation with Martha, the sister of Lazarus. And of course, she's, they're grieving and She's not getting it, and this is one of those things that Jesus does. You are having a conversation about something, like a concept, and then he moves on, taking it to another level. You are still discussing the thing. Jesus has moved on to something else. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again at the resurrection at the last day. She's still thinking that Jesus is talking about the resurrection per se. 
Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The resurrection is not an event. The resurrection is the person of the Lord Jesus. Because him being risen from the dead, we have the hope that we too will be risen. That's the argument which Paul also makes to the Corinthians. That the person of the Lord Jesus, that's where the resurrection resides. If Jesus died and remained dead, there is no hope of the resurrection. Amen? Amen. So these are just some of the scenarios which uh, John goes into. And there is another incident as indicated where Jesus is accused of blasphemy where they wanted to stone him. And his disciples, before he goes on to, to raise Lazarus. He said, let's go to Judea. And the, his disciples were surprised. Remember, they almost stoned you. You are still going there again. <laughs> it's as if stoning was the in thing. Now, all that being said, now let's move on to the second part of John's defense. He is making a point that Jesus being truly God, he is also truly human. I don't know which is harder to fathom because he is not saying Jesus was half and half. He was truly God and truly man. And this this argument rages on up to this day. Like, how does that actually happen? How does that physically happen? Because remember what we said was that the skeptics were saying, no, Jesus appeared to be man. He was not exactly man. He appeared to be a man, which then it creates a problem because he actually, that, that means he does not actually suffer. He kind of just suffered. And when you read the gospel, is that when they pierced him, even the soldier who pierced him recognized that this was the son of God. So, in the same opening chapter of the Gospel of John, are you there? Verse 14. What does he say? Remember, this is the word, he's coming with that and then Verse 14, he says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That word that was there in the beginning with God actually becomes flesh and dwelt among us. We, it's not just a fairy tale. We saw him with our own eyes. We beheld his glory that the word became flesh. Now, let's go back again so that we understand the full concept. We started at the book of Hebrew. Amen? We started at the book of Hebrew and we said, God who used to speak to the fathers by the prophets is now speaking to us by his son. If you put it all together, it means God is now speaking to us directly. There is no mediator. God is speaking to us directly. There are no filters. Which means there is no extra revelation as others claim. God is actually speaking to us directly. 
the thought that we actually can go direct to God, not needing somebody to go on your behalf. Amen. God used to speak to people through the prophets, but in these last days, he's speaking to us directly. No wonder he says, Abraham saw my day and he was glad. The things that we're experiencing now, those people yearned to see these things. And they did. You are that privileged. But that also means there is that much responsibility on us. There is nothing after this. And that is something that is unique about the Christian faith. That even if you don't like it, even if maybe we're not saying it makes it true, the thought of God dwelling amongst his people is total foreign. The thought of God being in our midst, those people used to go to a tent to meet with God. We meet with God everywhere. The presence of God is not limited to a geographic location. We do not claim that God can be found here. We said the word becomes became flesh, is dwelling amongst the people. We do not direct people to a church. We direct people to the person of the Lord Jesus. And as I, as, as I indicated, Jesus did not become God when it was convenient. He became God all throughout. It was not as in when it was difficult, he kind of cheated, and then when it was, no. Even as the book of Hebrews says, he was tested in all points, as we are. I don't know, I do not have the vocabulary to explain it. This is something that you have to search for yourself between you and God. That how does that actually happen? But what is important is not just that he became man, but he also set an example. He also set examples for us to live out the Christian life. And that is what we will look at in this short time that we have. And in, in particular, there is that, this scripture which indicates which in my opinion, is, is one of the best examples as it relates to Jesus' service here on earth. He did a lot of things, but this blows my mind as it relates to the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you in John chapter 13? John chapter 13, this, this will be our scripture for, for this morning and then, yeah, welcome. John chapter 13, you're there. As I said, this, is, has, this has to do with Jesus saving. And again, it's, you have to understand that we're still talking about the same word. Verse 2, you're there. Are you sure? New Testament. <laughs> the gospel according to John. 13 verse 2. And supper being ended. So he's having supper with his disciples. And supper being ended, the devil 
having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son. John gives some detail we just think, why is that necessary? To betray him. So, Jesus is, Jesus is going to be betrayed by one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot. Jesus knowing, this is verse 3, Jesus knowing that the father, this is a long passage. Just, just I'm warning you because it, it will take some time. Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash, his, wash the, the disciples' feet to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. You're getting the picture. They finish eating. Jesus takes a towel, pours water into a basin. He's going one by one washing their feet. Then he came to Simon Peter. Now Peter, Peter is just some other character. Peter just sounds to me like that guy. That classmate who reminds the teacher that you have homework. <laughs> you know, it's, he always, everybody behaves this way. Peter is in the front seat like, remember we have an assignment. And Peter, <laughs> Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. I said, just pay attention, I'm doing this and I will explain. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. With, the traffic is moving. He's watching. When it comes to Peter, there, there has to be a thesis and an exchange written, and Peter is just, and yeah, I'm not saying that some of us here are Peter. But you get it, that they are just, some of those people who are just oversaved. <laughs> the rest of us are saved and then they just have to, even when you're having a conversation, like, how are you doing? Oh, you don't know. <laughs> Blessed is nothing on me. There's blessing and then there's me. So Jesus said to him, so you say, wash my hands. I mean, Everybody's just getting their feet washed. Peter wants a full spa. <laughs> Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is, completely, but is completely clean. Just the feet is fine, Peter. You are clean. But not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. <laughs> 
Therefore he said, not, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, this is now, he said, I will wash your feet and then I will explain. This is him explaining verse 12. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, sat down again and he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? Verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord and you say well, for so am I. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you what? If you do them. Okay, so let's, let's look at the context of what is happening here. So he explains, he washes their feet, and then he explains. Because washing feet might be something foreign to us. I mean, we, we walked with closed feet, we drive everywhere we go, we take cars. These guys were walk, walking everywhere they are going. With those Moses sandals, you know, the open toe sandals in dusty roads. So you can imagine what their feet look like at the end of the day. And if you could afford, this was the job of a servant or a slave. You come home after a long day, you get your slave to wash your feet. Jesus, the same one. In the beginning was the word. The same one. John is not introducing another character here. The very same one. After supper is done, he gets down and does the job of a slave. I don't know if we like that part or not. Amen? Because this is, is very controversial. This is upside down like Jesus, and Peter was right. Jesus, what are you doing? This is the job of a slave. This is, this is lonely. This is that person who we don't even remember their name washing their feet. And Jesus does that same job. And because in, in society, people who are elevated or esteemed are people who have people to send around. The more people you can send around, the more important you are. Jesus shifts that and said, no. Me, your teacher will wash your feet. And it's not when he, when, he, when he was talking to them about serving, he could have just said it and it would have been fine. He says it and he demonstrates it. But not only that, he says, this is the example that I have set for you. I'm not sure if that part we too like, that it's, it's not just, he's not doing it so that we can say, Jesus did that, it's nice. Do it to one another. Amen? 
And the other part which makes me very uncomfortable, he's washing Judas' feet. Knowing full well what Judas was going to do. It's not like, you know when you do something good to someone and you don't know what they're going to do, it's one thing. Then you find out later like, ah, that guy, not him. You remember it, then you start to count. No, I did this, 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 this. You know, you did it not know. Jesus is doing it fully knowing what Judas was going to do. I am not very comfortable with that part yet. Because that means knowing full well what somebody could actually do to me, I still wash their dirty feet. Yeah. If he left out that he's setting an example, that could have been better. Because we would have said, you know, it is Jesus. He is capable of doing that. But he said, no, I'm setting you an example. Do this to one another. Not only just learn about it, you are blessed when you do it. Amen? I mean, after this there's this passage that we love where he says the works that I've done you who believe in me you will do greater works that part we love because you know display of power miracles but how about the miracle of serving one another that part we want to omit but He's saying that as these events are unfolding, how about the miracle of serving one another? How about the power of serving one another? And he's demonstrating that at a very critical hour where he's about to be betrayed. And, I mean, he didn't do a whole lot of teaching. He's that, that act alone says so much he did not do, have to do a lot of And I submit to you that there are times where our acts of service can speak so much volume. You don't have to run around preaching. Amen. Now, preaching is good. That, hey, I'm just saying. There are people, you have met these people. You don't know if they are Christians or not but their acts of service. Amen? And one thing that we should not forget is these disciples, sometimes we think these disciples were superhuman. These guys were just as ordinary as ordinary can be. They're the ones who are competing. Me, I'll be sitting on the right hand of Jesus and what, what, and it will be God, Jesus, me and my brother, and the disciples are now angry with this other two who, they were just ordinary people. You think we are petty, they were petty, yeah. <laughs> and Jesus said to them, when they were having a competition of who, who will sit at the right hand of Jesus, remember what he says in Mark 10, verse 42, if you're there, but Jesus called them to himself, 
they're, they're competing. They're unimportant. I'm in the inner circle. You are there. Jesus said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over Gentiles lord it over them. As in, people of this world who have power, they indicate that they have power. And their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet, verse 43, it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desire to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And give a ransom, give, give his life a ransom for many. He had every right to have servants who are serving him. I did not come for that. Again, this is the same word. Who is God? Has every right to say, serve me. Just, I, I didn't come for that. What you are seeing those people demonstrating power in their position, that is not my kingdom. That is not how the kingdom works. If you desire to be great, then you shall be a servant. This is one of those least quoted scriptures. Very least quoted scriptures. We look at it every now and then and you want to spiritualize it. Like what does he mean service? Like, um, but when what he did here in the Gospel of John demonstrate what service is like. That there is something to be done which people might not even mention. We don't have people here say, no, this person washed the toilets in the morning. But somebody had to wake up early to wash toilets. Amen. I, I'm not saying you do it. I'm just saying there are people who decide to wake up and do it. That's service. It's not mentioned anywhere. That is somebody who, who decides that this is my portion. I will hold this fort. It says the greatest among you. If you want to be great, serve. Everybody can be great because everybody can be a servant. Amen? And it's not just, again, another nice thing to say. It's something that, imagine if we decide individually that this serving thing is talking to me. Not, we are not calling an altar call, come here and repent of not saying, no. You sit and decide. This serving thing is talking to me. Imagine the community would live in. Amen. Last two passages and we close. This time we're closing with these two passages. I won't even, you will have to, I will, I will read them, you go read them at home. Amen. The first one. Galatians 5.13 For you, this is Paul speaking to the Galatians, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. You are free. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Amen? But through love, serve one another. 
For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The last one, Romans 12. Verse 9. It says, let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. Let our love not have double standards. I serve him, but you. Bonatala, I, yeah, I can serve him, but no. You are not at my level. You are not spiritual enough. You need to come up to another level so that maybe I can pray and fast about it. Don't let your love be contaminated with that level of hypocrisy. Amen? Amen. About what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving <laughs> preference to one another. I prefer your needs above mine. This is something worth praying about because it's not very easy to say I prefer your needs ahead of mine. But again, Jesus said I am setting an example for you and the example is not optional, it's a command. Prefer one another. Amen. Put their needs ahead of yours. And as you listen to that, I mean, your heart is racing, you think, I will be abused. But that's a command. There is no option B. That is the only option we have. That is how we demonstrate that we have a relationship with Jesus by serving one another. The worship team can come up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We thank you so much that we serve a God who decided to empty himself voluntarily, knowing that some will accept him and some will reject him, but you chose to empty yourself. We are so grateful for setting that example for us. And this morning, as you convict us, we pray for grace to walk in the same footsteps, to wash each other's feet, to prefer one another. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name.